4: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 78 of Take A Bow. I'm your host Eli Tokash and we have another great episode we're taking it back to the Rainbow Lullaby, which we started in the first week of November. Um, we had the creator and we had some writers on last week. Um, and this week, we actually have a writer and performer duo who worked on the same song. And then we also have some more writers. So uh, very exciting stuff. And then next week, we'll have some more performers uh, of the album and singers. So very exciting stuff. This episode, kid you not, is one of my favorites, actually. I, I really think uh, especially the conversation that I had with Bobby and Fred was very, very um, incredibly informative and uh, just just really, really great overall like conversation and i i personally learned a lot and i know that you all will too so i'm excited to, to push this one out today um I, I don't know why but these weeks have felt so long lately that i feel like i haven't talked to you guys in months anyways uh that's beside the point we have joe lampert deborah marsha we have bobby cronin and fred Seder uh on this week's episode Uh, we but before we turn it over to them Let's talk about some news, shall we? There's lots of things going on uh, on Broadway lately. Um obviously, first and foremost, huge huge congratulations and happy opening to Company which reopened and reopened their previews uh just this week. And so uh shout out to them and everyone involved uh, in that pro- production. Uh I'm I don't I mean, I've said it a million times. I seriously cannot wait. Um, for that production. And if you haven't yet, go listen to the Christopher Sieber episode of Take a Bow because it had a lot of company talk in that. Um, And I I just am so excited. And I really expressed my excitement in that episode. Um, So hopefully I go see that soon and give you all a little review. But speaking of things that I saw, I actually saw a, a few shows last week. I saw Freestyle Love Supreme. I saw Trevor. And I saw Moulin Rouge! And I kind of updated y'all on Trevor. I went to the opening night. I went to the red carpet and everything. And I kind of gave, like, my review there. So I won't talk much about that. Um, I'll quickly glance over Freestyle Love Supreme because you should really, really go see it. Even if you have seen it, like, it's a completely different show every night. So I think it's really cool to to go back and go witness it all again because you will not be witnessing anything again. Um, and I thought, I find that really cool. It was for... This time that I saw was four completely different artists from the first time that I saw which is also incredible because there's new artists every night. Um, and you never know if there's going to be, like, special guests or anything because my friends went uh, the next day or a few days after and they actually saw joe iconis the uh composer and writer of be more chill um yeah in freestyle of supreme so that was interesting and i would have loved to have seen that and seen how that went but um that is a very very cool show you the audience each night really makes the show Um, Everything that is said in the audience, everything that the audience does and uh, shouts out is kind of the direction of the show. And uh, it's really brilliant. Uh, And I definitely recommend seeing that. And I hope that uh, you have seen it already. And if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know exactly, uh, you you feel the exact same way that I do and that you should go back. And then Moulin Rouge! I don't know. This is a little bit of an unpopular opinion. I loved it. Okay. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was brilliant. I thought uh, it definitely deserved to win best musical. Uh, However, like, you know, like it's, it's as if you're going to like a club, like it's as if you're going to the Moulin Rouge club. So it's not like, it's not like, I don't know. People were describing it to me as like the best piece of theater that they ever seen. And like, yes it was absolutely brilliant it was absolutely unique i love how they had like it was kind of like a jukebox in a way that they just had a bunch of songs like into a story that already existed and um i thought it was really cool just everything about it but i don't know if it was like the best show that i've ever seen you know um it's definitely up there but i i feel like i could think of a few uh that i would i would I enjoyed more. Um obviously the Moulin Rouge story like isn't anything like crazy. It's just the spectacle of it all that really uh that really sells it and uh makes it uh, so enjoyable. Um that being said, I'm really really not like hating on Moulin Rouge because I absolutely enjoyed it. Danny Burstein is absolutely brilliant in the role. Uh Aaron Tveit is incredible. His voice, unbelievable. Um, and so like everyone involved is insanely talented and everything. And I really enjoyed the show, but I don't know. I don't think it was the best that I've ever seen. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I can, I, I, I'm getting a little nervous talking about it right now, so I'm just going to move on. Um, but, uh, there's exciting news. Obviously this past week as well, uh, there was a, Spring Awakening reunion it was the talk of New York and social media and Broadway TikTok and everything um and luckily enough for everyone that didn't uh or that wasn't able to see Spring Awakening they were able, they are going to be able to see uh the reunion doc- documentary in 2022 because HBO is putting it on. They don't have an exact date yet, but we will be able to see the Spring Awakening reunion documentary. I don't know if it's going to be the whole performance or if it's just like kind of like a documentary of like the behind the scenes of it all, uh, but that's all going to be produced by HBO and that's coming in 2022, which really sounds far away. But guys, we are two months, not even away from 2022 which is just absolutely crazy Um, and some other fun, fun, really fun news Tick Tick Boom is actually coming out tomorrow, Friday this is insane Um, and so everybody's been doing press about that, reviews have been coming out about that, actors are being uh, are going on the Tonight Show and uh, all of that so it's been really fun to see uh, once again this musical brand get um so highlighted in the media and uh it's really a really focal point right now so i'm really excited to see it i've seen mixed reviews um I same with Dear and Hansen though so like I'm I'm not getting my hopes down I'm still gonna go see it I'm very excited the cast is incredible um and yeah it's it's tick tick boom guys like it, it's gonna be good I promise um I also want to send out another congratulations to Chicago as uh they hit their 25th anniversary's performance this week There is, oh my gosh, there is so much happening on Broadway. Um, Yes, so Chicago hit their 25th anniversary performance. Uh, It was 25 years on Broadway uh, since it opened and everything. So they had a a brilliant night of celebration. And uh, a lot of the old cast came back. uh, And it was, it looked like amazing. I don't know. I saw so many videos and photos and Read a bunch of stuff about it, and a, a few of my friends went and everything. So it was really cool um, to see how how they did that, and uh, that I mean that's a huge milestone. Shows it, it's it's hard to last over a year on Broadway. Um, so twenty five years is is pretty spectacular, and um, I just want to send out a huge shout out and a huge congratulations to Chicago because. I mean, they definitely deserve it. That's like that's real. That's the real deal, right there. Uh, So once again, congrats, Chicago, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to go see that again. I haven't seen it in a while, and I feel like when I saw it, I didn't understand it completely, uh, or is a little like too old for me. I don't know. Um, But yes, nonetheless, I want to go see it again, and uh, I want to see this new cast because they seem to have a new cast like (laughs) every like month in a way. Uh, But yeah, so. Like I said, lots of stuff happening. I kind of shared everything that I wanted to share already. Um, And uh, yeah, with that, that's kind of all I have for us this week for the news. Without further ado, let's turn it over to the interview. Curtain up on the Rainbow Lullaby Part 2. Joining us first this week are two award-winning lyricists and composers who wrote a combined four songs in the Rainbow Lullaby album. Everyone, welcome to take a bow, Fred Sauter and Bobby Cronin. Howdy! Yes, this is so exciting. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I told uh, Fred a little bit about it, but I actually the I talked to Ryan the first uh, the first interview like I had and. Um, he explained to me, or I, I, he was like, he asked me what my favorite songs were. And the two songs that I actually said, and I had no idea at the time that either of you wrote it, was, don't, uh, uh, was Go to Sleep and um, As Bright as a Star. And Ryan was like, you chose two songs that I didn't write. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm so sorry. So like afterwards, I was like, oh, maybe I should see who wrote it. But now I have both of you together and I'm so excited. Uh, so tell me kind of both uh, how you got involved in this project and what inspired you both to get involved. Fred, do you want to start?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, well, Ryan approached me last November, right when he um, got the idea to do the album. Well, I think he actually had the idea for many years, but that's when he started really um, making it actually come to fruition. And, and, um so we started bouncing some ideas and playing, writing songs for each other, and just like um, giving feedback and that sort of thing. And and I know that he wanted it to be a bigger album with a lot of composers and um, a big project. And then so that we so we got an appointment with Broadway Records and pitched it to them, and they were really into it. So um, at that point, it was just getting everybody else on board.
4: Oh my god! So you kind of have been with it, like. Since the, be- since the be- very beginning.
0: Yeah, pretty much, yeah.
4: Oh my God, I had no idea. I didn't realize that you pitched it to Broadway Records with him. That's awesome. Yeah. Bobby, what about you? Uh, Ryan
3: messaged me and asked... Wow, well, my piano is on. Sorry, Ryan messaged me and asked if I would uh, write something for it. And when he explained what it was, I was like, count me in. Yes, yeah. absolutely, 100%, whatever you need.
0: That's so it, and then
3: we sort of floated with the idea of... He said that he had some lyrics, Do so I want to put lyrics, uh, music to some of his lyrics. And I thought, you know, let me read through some. And then I just had this idea uh, and decided to jump out on my own.
4: Amazing. Yeah, I, I, I noticed uh, Ryan has a few of those kind of on the album. Like, you know, he has the lyrics and then someone puts music to it. And uh, those are they're brilliant. Um, all of them. All of the songs in this album are so beautiful and so brilliant and elegant. Um, I love this album. I was telling Fred uh, on it before you joined, but uh, I, I do. I love it. Um, Fred, you wrote three songs for this album. Um, crazy. Uh, like that's like second most to Ryan, which makes sense because you guys have both been in it from the beginning. Um, talk to me about like, did you have all of these different ideas? From the beginning, did, did, did it kind of just, like, come as you were writing and you were like, oh, I have another song that I want to write? Like, was it the plan all along? How did it work?
0: It really happened um, pretty fast, actually. Like, right when when we started writing the songs and, and kind of passing them back and forth, um, just, you know, to, for the feedback, like, sure. it was, like, bam, it was just an explosion. I think I wrote all three probably within, like, two weeks or a week or something like that. And I actually wrote a few more, but then, like, I was like, neither mm, have not up to par. So those are the the three that I thought were the best for for this project. Um, But yeah, all of them were original and written directly for this.
4: Wow. Okay. Interesting. So you got did, did that happen to you too, Bobby? Like I know like as writers, I mean, something, sometimes that happens where you write a bunch of songs and then you scrap (laughs) it and you start fresh and, or some don't make it or whatever.
3: Yeah. I had initially sent a different song Really? And yes, but in it, I used the lyrics, mommy and daddy. Oh. And Ryan, he, he wrote me back and he's like, I don't know if you're misunderstanding the assignment. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I don't know why I did what I did. So then I, I really, I, what I did was I sat and I thought, if I had a child, what would I want to tell the child and in a and i don't mean this as a dig to my parents at all but what do i wish had been said to me mm. and i just jumped off and i i actually wrote the music and lyrics together at this very same time uh which what? i don't i don't normally do that um but because it was a lullaby i knew it needed to be short i needed i knew it needed to not uh be too riffy or too belty or um And so I, and I I knew I was writing it for Jelani. I had, and Ryan asked me, he's the first person. Well, he's actually the second person I reached out. The first person was Al Morgan Lee, but Al had, Al Morgan was already on. She already had uh, said yes to somebody else. So I just worked with Jelani, asked Jelani, and he said, count me in. So I knew his voice quite well and just kept hearing him singing uh, the piece. And in fact, once we got into the recording studio, I made even more changes really <laughs> yeah because i was like oh no what if you go up there instead because we could play like we had the time to to play yes. around and so the, the the ending is not even close to what i originally wrote it's uh it's it's close but but his voice is just so pretty i wanted to show it off a little bit more his and so i decided to go up
0: kind of like, i love yeah. that, that magic happens in the weekend. yeah i love that and then having
3: Yaz there in the room, uh, he was so helpful as well because um, I kept being, like, <laughs> kept being like, can we try, can we dot that quarter note instead? Can we, I don't know, let's make it a half note because it was, you know, you write something, you know, during quarantine, I've written so many different things for, am mm-hmm. not really quarantine anymore, we COVID, let's call it COVID, <laughs> things that are not theater, oh and like i did audio dramas i did podcasts i did just stuff that i hadn't really done too much of before and so um when this came across my my plate it was like okay i have to do this 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 like sort of putting it in order so when i got to it i was like okay this is my this i think of the dots on the page as uh like a blueprint Hmm. and when i work with a singer i try to tailor it for A, what I hear, but B, like, oh, that is a sweet spot in your voice. No, let's hold that a little longer. Let's, oh, I don't like the scansion there. Let's change that scansion. So I like to play with um, the the singers and knowing, again, knowing it was Jelani and having Yaz there, who's also a composer, uh, we were able to try, like, different takes. And then I think we actually put together something that's from a couple of different takes to, for it to be like, that's how I hear it in my head. Oh.
4: <laughs> That's so fascinating. So I want to ask you a question because this was actually part of my questions and you kind of led right into it. But um, for both of you, uh, Bobby, we can stick with you first because you're, we're kind of on this topic with you. Um, is it kind of easier knowing who you're writing for when you're writing a song?
3: Yes. For yes. Me, I, will, I will say for me it is. Um, every show that I write, I sort of uh, star cast it in my head. Wow. Like I have, I have a show called Mary and Max*, and mm-hmm. I, um, the first name that I said for Max was Shuler Hensley, oh. and Shuler is has done readings, and he he's doing this concert I'm doing uh, tomorrow, and uh, it was easier to go. Okay, that that is the, that's the range that he lives in. Try not to go above that. Also, Mary, I was writing it specifically for one of my best friends, Lauren Elder, who is in Hair and Sideshow. And Lauren has this really crazy instrument in that she has like an old school belt where where like a men's G or A Mm -hmm. is such a huge note for her. Yet she has this crazy soprano. Mm. So I decided for the character of Mary, I was like, great, she's an old school belter. She's not going to sing anything higher than a B wow and it so it did help there are other characters that i imagine like beth level in one of them um and but s- sometimes for other shows i i like i have a show with teenagers i'm clearly not a teenager and i just imagine you know what i hear in the radio of what the vocal range would be yeah and put that in there and think of you know, I also write characters that are sort of non-gender conforming, so I get to play with range. Right. And, um, yeah, but it, to, to answer your question, yes, it does help. And for That's me amazing. specifically, yeah.
4: Fred, what about you?
0: Sure. Um, well, I can start with, um, in, when I'm writing for a musical, it really is more specifically about a certain voice and a certain voice type. And often I do star casting as well with my... <laughs> Hall, we generally okay. This is Ariana Grande's voice that we hear for this, whatever, and um, and we'll kind of write it for that type of voice and then and then find an actor who can match that or is of a similar vibe. And then, you know, and in the case of like, I wrote a show called Bedbugs, and you know, we worked with a few of the actors early on, yeah, um, Brian Charles Rooney and Chris Hall, who were in the very first reading, and we had written, um, we had, as we continue to work on the piece, we wrote more and more for their voices. The same goes mm. with Rip. like after hearing how Brian delivered lines, like I knew how to write them. You know, it was just it was just very in sync um, for him. You know, specifically.
3: because when you get a when you get an actor like someone like Brian yeah. whose range um, is like my hands don't even fit on the screen, his range is yeah. enormous. You get Perfect. to to really play. It's super fun.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so for this, um, I actually wrote the songs as songs. I wasn't necessarily thinking up a voice type, except for the fact that uh, the case of "Don't You Cry," I definitely knew it was two men because it's about you know a gay couple adopting um, a child or a baby. And um, for "Rain," I was thinking I would I would like to have it be sung by a transgender person, and I was blessed to have two wonderful transgender people sing on the album, so that's great. And then. Uh, uh, for let's see, yeah, for 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 go to sleep. Actually, um, that could be sung by anyone. So mm-hmm. uh, we just we we got um Chris and Clay who did a fantastic job. But that's not specific to any gender or type. You know, you can do a lot with that song.
4: <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, absolutely, and I—I have told you already. That's literally like one of my favorite songs on the whole album. It's just like the—the the message and the writing with Chris and Clay's voice, incredible. They're so talented. Everyone They're on the so island,
3: good. They're so yeah. good.
4: This, this album is like star-studded, you know, like everyone on this album, there's not like a, a bad song, there's not a poorly sung song, like everyone is so brilliant, and it's just, it's wonderful, and I love that it's uh, all, it, it features all LGBTQ uh, performers and artists, which is even more brilliant. Um, and it just kind of adds that, that layer of special specialness, I guess, to the album and to the project in general. Um, I think it's really cool what Ryan and even you guys have really done with this, this project. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I, I can't believe that it, it hasn't been done before. It's, it's incredible. Um, but I want to talk uh, because I noticed with a lot of your, both of your work, um, your respected works, like, outside of this project. Um, You guys have, like, partners, I guess, when you're writing, like, um, a musical. You know, you kind of take care of the music and lyrics and uh, someone does the books. But I want to talk about, like, as you, as a writer and as an individual, like, artist writing a a new show, is that kind of something that, uh, how does that work, that partnership, and how does that... um, how do you choose who you want to work with and how does that like come, come about?
3: That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. um, I've been blessed to have met a wonderful woman named Crystal Skillman. We were friends for years. She was a downtown playwright who kept getting rave reviews in the New York Times. and. <laughs> And she loves comic books and, and I, I said to her one and she loves musicals. And I said to her one day, have you ever thought of writing a musical? And she was like, what? No, I don't know how to do it. What, I mean, uh, yes, wait, maybe I should. Yes. <laughs> so we have worked on uh, two projects together. We're currently um, pitching an animated uh, musical series. As oh well, God. yeah. It's just one of those things that during quarantine, during COVID, whatever it's called, we we were like, okay, so our shows are stalled. What can we be doing? And I had this idea that I thought was a musical, and she was like, no, that's a cartoon. And I was like, great, let's do it. Wow. So, um, but then I have other collaborators that I've worked with. Um, Christine Toy Johnson, I got paired with uh, to write a short film and we just worked so well together that we wrote um, a musical together. For that one, I only wrote the music. And sometimes, hmm. sometimes I like doing that. Um, and sometimes I do write the book myself. So it it all depends. I have a great collaborator named Caroline Prue on another project that was supposed to have its world premiere in uh, San Diego in May of 2020. The sets were already being built. Uh, But it's okay. Um, And she and I met, I met, I saw a play of hers off Broadway, and I loved it. And she happened to be there that night. And I pitched her this idea that I had, not knowing that she was exactly the right person to write. It's a southern, I'm not southern, I'm not super Christian. And it's a southern Christian idea that oh, I had. Wow. She is both of those things. And with her within six months, we had won our first award on the piece. So um I love working with women. That is something I one thing I will say. I just like having another point of view hmm. um with it. So I think that answers
4: that. Yeah. What about you? What's your thought process through that, Fred?
0: Sure. Well, um, I went to NYU and for the mm-hmm. musical theater writing program In that program, you get to you get paired with every other person, like with uh, mm. kind of the first year. So you get to experience um, creating with all, with all different types of people in different scenarios. And I feel like I, I love collaborating and I love new experiences. But when you find somebody you work well with, you, you continue to work with them. And so that was the case with Paul Leshin, who we met in 2007 um, just through a mutual friend. And we started coming up with that idea you know, of bugs the same day that we met, actually. Um, so, and then we've written four other shows since, you know, and, right. and the newest one is called Small Pond. And that's an animated film idea that we're still working on, you know, developing. So... <laughs> I That's love kind
4: of this. Working. Lots of similarities between yeah. you two.
0: And then um, I'm also working with um, Brett Macias, who is a. I love Brett. You know Brett. I love him. <laughs> so Brett is a <laughs> composer. Awesome. I know his and wife great. very well. Oh yes. yes yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, so we went to NYU together. That's where we wrote our 20 minutes together there. Um, oh so cool. We had, yeah. We had talked about working on this um, craft show idea. For years and then we finally started working on it like before the pandemic um and we're kind of like back to it again but you know it's like one of those things where the pandemic just messed up everything <laughs> hmm. well is theater ever gonna happen again should i work on this <laughs> right you know, and but you know we, we plow through and we actually did a performance of one of the songs in Times square um back in march actually sicily sang on it so that, yeah, cool. it's very cool. Um, But yeah, that's, that's about um, a craft show <laughs> and all amazing. the party people involved in that lifestyle. So it's very fun. Did
3: you write that New Orleans piece with Brett? I did not, no. Okay. That's a cool show. Yeah, I saw that reading. It was great. Sicily was amazing. <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: <laughs> Well, I want to talk to you guys. Um, we'll, we'll have a couple more questions and then I'll let you go because I know we have to go. Um, but uh, I want to talk to you both about your writing influencers um, and mm. kind of how that, um, you know, as an actor and as a performer, I don't, I, don't, I don't really, I have a lot of actor performing and whatnot. Like, I have a lot of those influencers and not writers. So I want to know, like, how that affects your work as a writer and what you kind of take from them and how you look for that and I don't know like talk to me about like a writing influence that you have. Fred we'll start
0: with you. Um. Well I definitely come more from the rock world. Mm. Um, you know I did a lot of studying of rock history from you know, the 60s through the 90s I guess you could say through the present um, and so that influences a lot but also you know I also have mad respect for Stephen Sondheim and, and classical musical theater and especially, you know, the, 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 the concept albums of the 70s, um, Sondheim and Kander and Ebb and all of those. And so, you know, and, and that form and, and perfect rhyme and, and all of that that comes with, <clears throat> with classical musical theater is definitely a part of what influences me, but I also aesthetically kind of prefer the sound of rock and pop. <laughs> So it's really always about blending those two things and finding new ways. And, and, you know, in the case of Small Pond, there's actually some hip-hop songs. So it's I'm delving into other styles as well because, you know, it's good to be current and modern.
4: <laughs> I had to ask, because this is, like, mind-blowing to me. As someone who, like, has a lot of rock influences and, like, loves rock, did you ever think you would be writing lullabies? Oh, that's <laughs> funny.
0: That's really funny. Um, no, no, it's not something I necessarily thought <laughs> It was, I love, I love a, a project. I love like a challenge and I love yeah. like, a theme and like working within a theme. And when somebody gives me a challenge, like this is what the thing is. I'm like, yeah. I just immediately brainstorm and I'm like, this is right. like, how can I like make this work? And boom.
3: Yeah. It's like, once you know the box. Yeah. yeah I like the, the, the parameter. Yeah. Parameters. Like yep. it
0: goes for anything, you know? Yeah. Any project. So I love that.
4: Bobby what about you? Uh,
3: I think um, Fred you and I are the same human being. Um, I I grew up in a large Irish Catholic family with seven of us with one bathroom so I shared a room with two of my brothers oh. so we had all these different musical styles going through my house um, and like, my dad loved the doo-wop stuff. My mom liked th- musical theater. My brother was a metalhead. My other brother liked Neil Diamond. A sister liked, like, Pat Benatar. Another sister liked Fleetwood Mac. So I had oh. this crazy stuff, which is why I was such a sought-after uh, pop rock coach. Because oh. I just I know all the stuff from it. The stuff I'm weakest at is modern. Well, that, not I shouldn't say modern, but today. But that's not hmm. true, because I love listening to the radio but anyway um so my greatest influence is queen number one um and uh, elton john like freddie mercury is just my hero i just the way that he could take something and make it soar but give it like grit at the same time and um have different melodic themes throughout but i also i love jerry herman because Uh, he takes a tune and he makes you remember that tune and um i love his key changes and i love how the songs forward the story sometimes but i also like how the songs sort of like live in a moment for a bit mm -hmm. uh and yes i'm like everybody i'm a huge sondheim fan um but if i also i'm a huge huge jason robert brown fan Oh, yeah. And it's weird because I don't write like him because I don't play the piano like him because sure. I, I never had lessons. It was just, we never had oh. money, so I taught myself. So I can't do the stuff that he does. I write more melody first. Melo- I'm all the the tune. Um, sure. But there was some... I remember hearing Jason Robert Brown's work the first time and being like, oh, my God. He's writing monologues into in song, like song monologues. And it just sort of changed how I saw what music can do in a musical.
4: Wow. Amazing. Okay. Can I ask you one more before you leave? Yeah. Um, it's just, we're going to stay on in this. Um, how does, like, I, I kind of asked it before, but how does it, those influences like Elton John, but like also Jason Robert Brown and everything, like how does that influence you to write something for like a project like this, like the Rainbow Lullaby? Like is there... Um, tunes that you kind of take from them—is there words, a story? Like how? Like what do you kind of take from them to to uh, do in your work? I guess.
3: I think for this, nothing other than yeah. Th- this was this was super personal, um, oh. and maybe that's why. Like my mom, she my mom can't stop listening to the song. It's her favorite oh. song of mine I've ever written, and I. <laughs> I, I, I guess it's because it it's not for a character, in mm-hmm. a way. You know, I, we get we get really good at writing for characters, and sure. every so often we get to write just to write. And yeah. I think I think so. The influences came in maybe with like song structure, or um, you know, sort of the false ending going into a a little coda melody type thing. Um, but in my other work, definitely like any show that I have, I sort of theme it. Um, this is my rock show. This is my country gospel show. This is my contemporary musical theater show. Oh, and which wow. helps, it helps me because the way I write sometimes, I just sit at the piano and just start messing around and I'll come up with something and be like, oh, I really like that. Could do I? Does a show need this? Oh, it feels more like this piece. Or if I play with it a little more, it would feel more like this piece. Mm. Um, but I think, my fingers just go to, I don't know if you're the same way, Fred, but my fingers go to what I grew up playing, right. which was the Elton John chord progressions, the Queen chord progressions, and Queen stole so much, or borrowed so much from classical, that there's stuff that I didn't even know I was doing that was classically based until I went to college and actually studied music.
0: Wow. Yeah, I think um, the influences come through often without me even realizing it, that mm-hmm. power- i think that's probably true for a lot of writers and composers that it's just it's just in you it's what's in you sure. it's what's in your soul and in your blood and it's just how it comes out and like in the case of this album again again i don't think there was any specific influence for any of those songs The 3 it's just they just kind of came out honestly
3: yeah right wow. that tends to happen though right like it just comes out
0: yeah yeah,
3: and I learned from Lynn Arons, um uh-huh. of Arons and Flaherty that uh, she she says that when she sits that that she will say, "Okay, talk to me." What? And yeah, and that you just you you hope. And Stephen Flaherty was a mentor as well, which is how she told me the story. But um, where it's just that I I don't know I believe someone sings in my head. I, I but I think that comes from all the music that's stuck in there from listening to so much. Yeah. Like I can't think yeah. of when I'm not listening to music. I go for a walk, I listen to the music. I go for a car ride, I listen to music. I'm cleaning my house, I'm listening to music.
0: Literally. And I, I try to
3: listen to something radically different every time as well.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah, for me, it just hits. It just hits like a melody or a, a, a hook usually just hits like when I'm... You know, walking a dog, or so. I had a dog walking business before. I, <laughs> yes. I nice. I was like doing something like that, where it's like something very commonplace, or that, that's you know that doesn't really require your brain. Just my brain just starts working automatically, and boom, I have to get my my phone out and record it into same, my and then I'll figure <laughs> out the chords or, you know, take it to the next level. So.
4: Well, you guys are absolutely fascinating. I could literally talk to you all day. <laughs> I love seeing how writers' minds work because I'm like, I wish I like could just sit, I don't know. I wish I could write. And, um, but yeah, I think uh, what you guys have said is absolutely brilliant. Um, your songs are brilliant. Go check them out. Rain, rain, rain. Don't you cry. As bright as a star, go to sleep. It's all so good. Check it out on the Rainbow Lullaby, literally anywhere you listen to music. Bobby, um, good luck at your show tomorrow with- Thank Katie, you very Adela, much. Long, all of these, star- Jelani, all of these stars. Um, it's so exciting. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. And I'm very, very lucky to have met both of you. So have a great day, everyone. Thank Thank you you for having us. Of course. Joining us now is an award-winning composer and associate conductor, Deborah Barsha, and both a stage and screen veteran, Joe Lampert, who collaborated together in Mommy and Mama in the Rainbow Lullaby album. So welcome, everyone. And uh, thanks for doing this thank Thank you you. for having us of course so obviously i mean from what it seems like from this little short time we've been on zoom you guys know each other before uh doing this so where did your relationship begin and then how did you two get involved in the rainbow lullaby
2: well deborah you 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 go well you were involved in in it first so okay
1: So first thing that happened was Joe auditioned for a show directed by Diane Paulus called Prometheus Bound. Mm -hmm. And it was at ART up in Boston. And when she came into the audition in New York, we freaked out, basically. And we said, I don't know what she's going to be, but she has to be in the show. She has to be in the show. So that's that. I was a fan from day one. Let's put it that way. And I music directed that. And Joe was in it. And from there, we did a crazy children's camp together.
4: <laughs> Amazing.
1: <laughs> Where we lived in these this lesbian couple's basement and then <laughs> w- went to the Bay Street Theater in Sag Harbor and did this theater camp. And then we just kept flowing in and out of each other's house. We did a Stephen Sater... Um, Bert Bacharach musical called New York animals together. What else did we do together, Joe?
2: Um, I mean, we've, well, since, so we did, right. We did the camp. We did New York animals at the new Ohio in, in, uh, in like the, uh, what would you call it? West village area. Yeah. Um, and then since then, We've, We've done well, I've done a workshop of one of Deborah's former shows that is now actually getting a new life, which is about the life of Keith Herring. Um oh. Ra- radi- it's called Radiant Baby. It's coming. It's gonna
1: be Yeah, it's gonna be at Two River Theater this summer. Amazing. But more more important than that, besides the Rainbow Lullaby album, right before Joe and I um Long Wharf Theater kind of commissioned us in some kind of a way, right? Mm-hmm. To do um, a piece. And we live streamed this um, piece for Longmore Theater, and it was called Conversations with Ourselves. And it was just about, you can actually watch it and see our whole story together and how we totally uh, get each other. And we feel like we're related, related to each other on some way on the planet.
4: I love that. So then did Ryan get in touch with you, Deborah, and basically ask you to write a song?
1: Yes, because I think Fred Sauter, who I know really well, I music-directed Bedbugs in one of its incarnations. Yes. Yeah. Fred um, and Ryan knew each other, so I saw that he was part of it. So I didn't know how Ryan got my name, but anyway, he did. And I said, oh, I would love to do that because m- one of my piano students called her p- parents, her lesbian parents, Mama and Mommy. And I uh-huh. said, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be nice to have a, a song, like a lullaby um, for uh, – uh, a kid with two mummies i wanted to make it really really here's what i wanted to do make it so accessible that anyone can sing it it wouldn't have to be like whatever like a, a mother could sing it even if they had a bad voice or whatever i just wanted it to be a soothing little thing and i knew i thought of joe right away because joe has the ability to be a chameleon She can change her voice for whatever's needed. Isn't that true, Joe? You know that's true.
2: I mean, Deborah knows that I'm not going to say anything nice about myself. So don't ask (laughs) me.
1: But that was it. I thought of Joe immediately because I said, you know what? She'll get it. Just not from a queer perspective, but what I want. And I didn't put any harmony on it. I didn't want a lot of stuff on it. I wanted it to feel you know, like a child would be soothed by this, by anybody singing this. So I thought Joe would be the perfect person. And then I got in touch with Joe and Joe did it
4: wow joe i have to say your voice on this song is so good it's like perfect
2: oh well that's very sweet i was actually just just re-listening to it just so that i could like be in touch with what we were talking about oh my god you know it's it's funny like i added i it it feels like it, it does feel like a different part of my voice because it was such a simple, it is, I mean, simple. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean that very positively. It's a very beautiful, simple as lullabies need to be, because they need to be kind of like both cathartic, but not excitable so that a child can fall asleep to it and be feel feel warmed and, and, and safe by it. Um, and so it had this very pure tone. And I was like, not sure how to approach it really. And so sure. I, there was a lot of like vibrato in there just like to kind of like, th- I was just, I don't know. It like felt like inhabiting the character of somebody who actually had a child and was singing to them and like what that tone needed to be. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Oh. Yeah. yeah.
4: I think Ever- it, if oh. I, it,
1: oh, I'm sorry. But if, when I was younger, I wish that there had been something like this. And I think it's very inspiring and especially the way Ryan um, conceived of it after his mother's passing. But anyway, what were you going to ask? I'm sorry.
4: No that was beautiful. Um I was just wanting to go back to what you were saying earlier. I we just spoke to Fred last week. And oh. um, he was just, he was talking about you, actually. So, like, I was very excited to to be able to talk to you like here today because I was telling him that I was interviewing you uh, at some point. And he was like, oh, my gosh, I love her. Send me her my love and everything. Yeah. And of course, uh, I know Diane because I was I did Pippin in Finding Neverland with her. So Diane is a very special person to me as well. So, yeah, oh, that's it's great. So funny How this is going full circle right now. Um, and you kind of alluded to it. Um, but I want to talk about what inspired both of you, uh, as individuals, not only to work with each other, um, but also just like the story that is being told in the rainbow lullaby. Like what, how special is that, that it made you want to just like fall in love with it and be a part of it?
1: I think go ahead. ahead. Oh, I just wanted to say, just having queer composers and queer singers, I, to me, this is like revolutionary because people don't always, in all of our worlds on this planet, associate children. This is a relatively recent phenomenon, right? To have children involved in the LGBTQIA plus community, and uh, what were you going to say, Joe?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, I, I also I was lucky enough to get to sing on two two separate songs, which was kind of a surprise completely random. It was not intentional um and sort of between those and listening to some of the others yeah i mean i think it's extremely inspiring to think about well first of all ryan's story right um, the reason why you know the that that he is made that he decided to make this album inspired by his mother who he you know lost recently but also the person who recorded us his his friend uh is also you know queer with a child mm-hmm. um, and like, so the whole recording atmosphere too was really inspiring because it was a person who, not, I'm not gonna go into his story, but he has his own whole story about like, you know, family and acceptance and having a child Boy. and having a partner and what that means in other cultural tradition traditions. And I, I think what's really so beautiful about this album is that like, as Deb said, you can write it toward a place where anybody could sing any of these songs and it would still resonate. But that it is so specifically about these, like Home of Three and Mommy and Mama are obviously about these, you know, co-parenting situations that are, you know, between two women or between two, you know, just a queer relationship. And I just never heard anything like that. I've never, you know, you could think back to like from my age, the 80s, like Raffi, it's not to say that there aren't some great collective songs we all know from childhood, but to actually have an album that is by, for, and surrounding queer themes is like it's pretty extraordinary.
4: I know. I know. I was talking to Ryan and I, I couldn't believe that this like didn't exist in some capacity. Like it's mind blowing. And like, I'm so grateful that now it does exist. And now we have this beautiful album. Literally, there's not like one album, not one song on the album that like isn't just equally impactful in its own way. It's sharing a different story. It's really brilliant. Um, so I'm really happy that this now exists. And now that you guys are a part of it as well. Um, So, Deb, when you wrote this song, I know you had mentioned that uh, you had reached out to Joe. but when you were writing it, did you kind of write it like in a way for Joe and for her voice?
1: I kind of did. I didn't tell her because I don't like to freak (laughs) her out. But what I did was Ryan immediately said, I said, oh, I have an idea of who should sing this because he asked me while I was writing it. um, I sent like this little demo first of me singing it. Sure. And he said, "Do you have an idea who could sing this?" I said, "Joe Lambert. I have to get <laughs> Joe Lambert to do it." It was like immediate. I I knew it was right, and mm-hmm. so I tried. I tried to write it in Joe's key, um, and it worked out. I, yeah. I said, "Joe, is this good for your? Do you like this key?" And she said, "Yeah, it's fine." But we oh. did talk.
2: In classic, classic Joe Lampert form, it took me like months to get back to Deb about just like a very simple ask, like, is it the right key? And then it's like day of recording and she's still like, is it the right key?
1: (laughs) And then the great thing
2: about, yeah, Joe and I have this,
1: we just know each other on the planet. It's very strange. It's really strange, actually, Uh because, our uh, you know, the way we communicate is like I nag her and then she 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 says um, are you going to nag me and i go yes i'm going to nag you until you give me an answer and then she gives me an answer
0: oh
4: <laughs> i love that sometimes it's all you need it's okay it works but
1: we have that kind of friendship we can talk yeah. to each other any way we want that's what our show's about anyway
2: well, it's it's funny because I I was like, well, Deb's song, like, I was like, it feels super simple. But actually, there's this transition to that little bridge section or like the B section. It's like, it's like, and for some reason, I actually found that very that that transition was not intuitive to me, which is which is funny. I don't I don't know why I couldn't it just was like, I did have to do that take separately because like it was, it was funny oh. because I was like, well, certainly I know where the song is going, but like in classic Deborah form, like it's, there's always complexity in her writing, even when it is something that comes across as kind of like effortless and simple. So, um, so, yeah, right. that was cool
4: so, to so Joe, as a, as a singer, talk about that. Like, what do you, how do you navigate that? And what do you have to like work on and do necessarily to, to get it into the the right place?
2: I've been realizing recently that I'm a very visual learner. Like oh. when I first started singing, you know, the most backup that I started doing, or like solos and things that I started singing in the past, was with my friend Shayna Taub. So ah. Shayna would record, and she would, if it was like a wrong note that she accidentally sang, she'd be like, "No, forget, forget that. Don't <laughs> re- learn that," because I I tend to glue when I'm listening by ear to like the thing that I first hear. Right. So what I've been noticing lately is when I get some when i get some music whether if it doesn't have sheet music or if it you know I, then i'll do my own version of it by just playing it out on the keyboard and just writing notes and little arrows to understand the relationship between notes just it's an easier way for me to learn almost with a visual map and then sheet music is also obviously an obvious way but you don't always get that um mm-hmm. but so yeah so it's just it's i i try to i try to make the song visual in order for me to understand Shifts and changes. It's just something I've learned about myself recently, like quick turnover demos like this or quick, you know, recordings like this, where it's like, it's a one-off, it's a couple hours. And I'm also learning two songs and doing recording two songs within that time period. Just having notes. It's like almost like hieroglyphics. Nobody would know what I'm writing out. Just my own way of like writing a map,
4: you know. Well talk to me too because you also did Home of 3 which is the other song that you did on the Rainbow lullaby uh with Lauren Patton. So yeah. um what was it like to I mean obviously you sang a song solo and then you also sang one as a duet. So like what is kind of like the difference and like how the voices mesh together and everything like that.
2: Well we were lucky Lauren and Zoe are friends of mine. And so we were and and Deb, Deborah has been really busy lately and like she also lives out of town. So it was we were lucky oh. cuz Lauren and Zoe we were able to get into a space together and kind of like, look at the sheet music, figure out who should sing what part. Cause it was divided in a very particular way, but we then sort of changed certain things when I was like, Oh, Lauren's voice sounds better on this B. like, let's put her there, you know? Sure. Um, and so that was an interesting process because we did get in the room with Zoe um, and uh, we actually recorded the duet first. And then I did Deborah's song after um, okay. and, and yeah, that's delicate because like, there were a lot of lines where we needed to match in rhythm, but the but our timbres are completely different. And Zoe really liked that and was trying to embrace that. Um, but there was a delicacy to trying to match, not timbre, but like timing, because some of it was a little bit languid and so like it was, it was it wasn't super rhythmic. So there was that. But then I was warmed up to get into Deborah's song. So that, right. that was Deborah's. But then I also kind of had to change characters because I felt like it was a different a different gay mom singing in Deborah's song than was singing. Totally. In Zoe's song, you know, so yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. everybody doesn't get to hear Joe's voice quite that way that she approached my song with and didn't ask me by the way. And I was so happy. I said, I really want you to make it your own approach it the way you feel that this character singing to a child would approach it. And uh,
4: she did. Wow. And it works. It's it's amazing. It really turned out beautifully.
1: I'm so happy she did it. Thank you, Joe. I never really uh, said thank you, thank you, thank you, but thank you.
2: No, you 100 percent thanked me a million times over. Don't <laughs> don't don't discount your thank yous. Um, no, it was it was it was actually a really, really fun day. I mean, both Lauren and I were like on our way to like separate places. So like it was a pretty quick turnover. And I'm I'm blanking on his name right now, the the, the amazing producer. Yes. Was it Yes? Was it
1: Yaz? Or was at his studio?
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yasuhiko, but yeah, I think you're right. He we called him Yas. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. amazing.
4: Shout, shout out. out.
2: Shout out yes. He's phenomenal. I didn't get to meet his partner and his child, but like there was so much love in that space that he's created. And there were dogs. It, it was just a really beautiful atmosphere, home studio. So it was awesome.
4: Oh, I love that. Well, and then the, ch-
1: uh, the cello was was put on with they just said hey do you want to write a cello part for this we have a cellist that's going to do some of the songs I said sure and I wrote a cello part and I forgot who that cellist is but can we look him up and give him a shout out because it was unbelievable
2: the cello yeah part. I don't know who that is but I'll we'll find all it
1: right. out. well okay
4: well Deborah while she's looking that up like what is the kind of the differences of learn uh, of writing for like a vocalist and like a cellist
1: oh it's very different yeah I mean, I'm sure. first of all yeah, I once I heard the concept that there was gonna be a cello I was like, oh, that's so great.
2: Actually tell tell Eli about when you wrote for me for Three Voices in Cello. Oh, right. So Joe said, I'm, I'm,
1: yes, that's right. That was the first time I wrote for cello, actually. Joe was doing, um,
2: what was it called,
1: Joe? It was at Ars
2: Nova. I did a, I did a, like, a cabaret, like a, a one night evening of magpie melodies, which oh, was like covers that were all reimagined and rearranged and reinterpreted by friends for my voice. Right,
1: so she asked me to do My Funny Valentine. And I said, oh, I have an idea. Can we do it for three voices? We have three background singers or two? Uh uh, two. two. Two background singers, Joe and a cello. Wow. That was it. And I thought that would be so beautiful if the cello acted like an accompanist. And oh. um, yeah, so I did this version of My Funny Valentine. So I'd have already written for cello. And I just thought, wouldn't this be great for the lullaby? Because now, the, cellist, J-
2: the cellist is Bobby L. Crow III.
1: Thank you. Wow. That's who the cellist was. on our on the lullaby album thank you let's let's really put uh put something out there about him because he did i think he did like a lot of the songs either he wrote the cello. he did did. yeah so
2: yeah and it was beautiful it's amazing how these things can be recorded from afar like none of us needs to be in a room right I'm in grad school for this like sound production stuff. And it's, it's fascinating. So much can be done like postal service style, like across the country, you know?
4: It's insane. Yeah.
2: And I, I'm in the
1: Hilton Garden Inn right now. <laughs> I'm in the lobby. But anyway, yes, I love that we're doing this. And um, I, I want to talk about the album. I want to get the word out there. I've been retweeting and reposting everything that Ryan puts yeah. up. Because I'm just really proud of it. And I'm proud to be in the company of the other composers because they're really
4: fantastic. Absolutely. Everyone is so talented. Like I said, I mean, every song is a new story, but like just impactful and just as meaningful. So yeah. uh, I appreciate you guys and your spending your, your afternoon with me as you are on your way to your show, Debra. Um, yeah. Break a leg at Tina, by the way. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, and uh, yeah, just thank you for talking to me and spreading the word of the rainbow lullaby. Um, I really appreciate it. And uh It was so nice meeting you. So uh, have a great day. Thank you,
2: Eli. Thanks for having us. Thanks to Ryan for including us. Yes. uh, Yeah. Shout out, Ryan. Ryan, shout out, Ryan. Such an amazing, beautiful concept. Something the world 100% needed. And I just know how, how absolutely proud his mother would be.
4: Oh, absolutely. Yes. Thank you, Ryan, so much. Well, thank you guys as well. All right. Thanks, Eli. Bye take about rainbow lullaby part two and really everyone who's involved in this incredible project uh it's really really uh impactful and just special this project and every time that i hear i i talk to to new people about it it's just like it makes me that much more excited about the project and it's just it's a really cool thing and i'm really glad that we now have it huge shout out to ryan bauer welsh who obviously we talked about a lot on here um, and continue to give shout outs. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really grateful that, uh, everyone was willing to give me their time. Deborah Marsha, huge shout out to you in making this work. We are literally, we did this on Wednesday, literally yesterday. If you're listening to this on the day it comes out, um, uh, at 1215, right before her show. So we don't have to do it in between her shows. Uh, and she did it, like she said, at the Hilton at a hotel in the lobby. So it could be like quiet because she was gonna be on the streets of New York otherwise um, but huge shout out to everyone who's who's making these uh, contributions and t- sharing the the getting the message out of this project and sharing the, its story um, it's really really great and uh, I you can tell with everyone's dedication how how meaningful this this project really is to them and how special it is and I think that's uh, only furthering the the message of how everybody should be listening to this at least once, you know, like even if you don't want to listen to it on repeat like you may with like a Broadway cast recording, you definitely need to like go and listen and check it out and, and read more about it or even wa- listen to a couple songs because I really, I really don't think you're going to regret it. And I really think that it's something that everyone should do. Um, so with that being said, I'm actually going to do a drama dictionary right now after the interview, which I usually do not do. And the reason I'm going to do it is because we just talked to Deborah Marsha, who is the assistant conductor over at Tina the Musical. And uh, so I'm going to have our drama dictionary word of the week is actually going to be the overture. And what an overture is, is right before the... Well, actually, right when the show starts, this music starts playing. But you're like, wait, The lights are just now becoming black, the curtains aren't going up necessarily quite yet, and the music is playing. So what's going on? Well, that's what is called the overture. And the overture is a combination of, if not all of the song, a bunch of songs, the majority of the songs in the show. And uh, it's kind of like an introduction to like a book, you know, how like they all have like those introductory chapters and, or like a table of context almost. Um, and that's kind of it in, in literally like music form with no words, no nothing. It's just instruments. Um, and it's a really, really powerful thing. And, uh, I love it because just, not just recently, but like in the older, um, Kind of musical cast recordings and everything, they didn't include the overture. But the overture has become such a meaningful and impactful part part of the show, and kind of really what kicks the show off and gets everyone in the mood for it for the show. And about and uh, kind of gives everyone an inside scoop of what they're about to witness. Uh, that now it's becoming more and more part of the the cast recordings and everything. And I always love going back to the Finding Neverland cast recording and just listening to the overture because it's one of my favorites. Um, so. The overture is a really, really important thing. Like I said, it's obviously, like, anything that starts the show is really important. So I think just starting the show off with that is just a testament uh, to how important it is. And uh, it's just a really beautiful thing of just music. And I think that's, like, the only time that we can just, like, just have our relaxation moment. And then, boom, it's right into the show. And it's nonstop, fast-paced screaming singing yelling talking all the things high action whatever it is um and uh yeah that really is like what starts a a musical of course that a musical it's it's not necessarily in place so uh that's what an overture is and that folks is officially all i have for you this week on episode 78 of Take a Bow. Once again, I'm your host Eli Chokash and I hope that you all enjoyed this wonderful episode and I hope that you'll come tune in again next week. Uh, I'm now mapping out the month of December for Take a Bow and oh my gosh, have we have a really really fun lineup for you guys and uh, I really think that you're going to enjoy so I definitely know that you guys are going to want to revisit Take a Bow and all of these episodes so stay tuned and follow us on social media at Take a Bow Podcast. So thank you again for listening. And I hope to see you next week. Bye, everyone. Have a great week. For this episode's Curtain Call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Bernstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Kessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron